Welcome back to Left Anchor. I'm Alexi the Greek. And I'm Ryan Cooper. Today we have a returning guest, State Senator from Pennsylvania, Nikhil Saval from the 1st District, which is a big chunk of Philadelphia. And we we had Nikhil on uh, before he was a senator, when he was just a candidate. And so uh, today we're having him on to talk about uh, a recent bill that he had passed, and the details will become clear shortly. Bipartisan in a majority Republican legislature. Incredible. Yeah. I mean, the, the, this was, you know, our moment of curiosity that, that a DSA guy could get a bipartisan <laughs> bill, you know, through the, the, like, Mitch McConnell, Joe Biden, eat your heart out. You know, here we have that's right, that's a literal right. negotiator. Like, what is the deal, yeah. man? I mean, it just goes to show our our imagination of what's possible is 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 always uh, too truncated. You know, we always think we know what's not possible, uh, and we shouldn't think that way. Yeah, but before we get to that, a couple of uh, uh, housekeeping items, as one might say. This podcast sponsored by the American Prospect Magazine, um, and so best lefty magazine out there. Oh yeah, there's none better. Um, so if you subscribe to our Patreon at uh, patreon.com slash left anchor at $10 a month, we'll give you a free digital subscription to the magazine, plus a steeply discounted print subscription. Our our new issue is coming out next week. Um, but if you subscribe at $5 a month, you'll get access to our quite extensive library of uh, bonus episodes going back almost four years now, I believe. Holy manoli. Yeah. We're getting old. We're getting old. But that means our archive is getting beautiful. Yeah. We'll we'll have soon enough an episode on every topic under the sun. Anything you want to know, we've explained it to you. But yeah, without further ado, let's uh, get to our interview with Nikhil Saval right now. So, Senator Nikhil Saval, we meet again. Um, <laughs> this time, last time, the advantage is mine. um last time you you were you were a candidate for office when you were on the program and now you're actually in office um so first of all belated two two years too late congratulations for for winning um election to our decrepit pseudo-democracy that we have in this country um (laughs) thank you no only joking no no offense to the great state of pennsylvania um, home of the, the, the most cleanest electoral institutions in the country. Uh, no, but so the reason, in addition to having you on, uh, to talk about, you know, your, your victory and like that sort of thing, specifically, you have this thing you passed, uh, through the legislature, a legitimate bipartisan bill. And it wasn't a bipartisan bill to give cops like, you know, a tactical nuclear weapons, or something similar like that. It was a whole home repair program. So um, can you start us off by telling us what is this thing um, and uh, where, where did you get the idea for doing it? Thank you. Well, first of all, thank you for having me back on the program. I, I wouldn't be here without without all, without all you both. Uh, <laughs> That's right. I, you better not forget it. I, I expect I, backhanders. Uh it is so the whole home repairs act. You, yes, we're, we did pass it. It, it was passed uh, w- along with the with the budget in in Pennsylvania on. You, well, we passed it out out of the Senate on July eighth. It was signed by the governor shortly thereafter, and you know what started life as a as a Senate bill was then adopted in these kinds of budget in these omnibus budget documents. And what it does is it is you know it is an affordable housing preservation bill. It basically is meant to make it easier for people to stay in their homes, whether they are homeowners or renters, and principally by making it easier to make critical repairs to your home so that things like a leaky roof or lack of adequate plumbing or heat or high utility burdens or the fact that you maybe have changing physical needs and to adapt your home to to those needs – that none of those things prevents you from staying in that home and, you know, and, you know, nothing of those things causes you to lose your home. And 
Pennsylvania, like many states, like many states in the Northeast or the industrial Midwest or, you know, but, but I think it's just a you know, pretty common issue. They have, it has older housing stock. It has a lot of low, low to moderate income homeowners and, and tenants, um, or, you know, small landlords who, uh, for whom these, these deficiencies are a major issue. And so we wanted to make it easier for people to stay in their home. So what it does is it provides up to $50,000 in the form of a grant for homeowners who make up to 80% of the area median income. But it also provides the same amount in the form of a forgivable loan to small landlords. That is landlords who own 15 units or less. And you can receive that per unit as long as you keep those units affordable. And if, you know, and then that, if you keep those units affordable for a certain period of time, that also turns into a grant. And it, so that, so it does those things. Those are for critical repairs, repairs to your roof, repairs to replace an, you know, an energy inefficient HVAC system or one that is totally conked out to adapt your home, things like that. It also provides, uh, money in the form of coordination and technical assistance. We actually have a lot of existing home repair programs. And one of the ways that we kind of found our way to this program is by learning about the issues with federal weatherization assistance, with which will kind of seal up your building envelope and allow you to lower your utility bills by reducing energy loss. But it you cannot access that program if you have a leaky roof, because that means you have water coming in. And if you seal up the building envelope, that means you'll cause mold to fester in your home. So that means you don't get access to this money that exists. So we want people to be able to access that money. So you get the home repairs first, and then someone will walk you through the process basically to apply for weatherization and a number of other existing programs. So that's the kind of second pillar of the program. And the third part is workforce development. We actually have a lot of programs that exist. We have this program now, but none of these programs will do anything if we don't have people to do the work. So it is a jobs program. It will help put people to work by giving people stipends to make their way through training programs, to fund apprenticeship and pre-apprenticeship programs. So it funds repairs, coordination, and jobs. And all of those things we think should add up to making it easier for more people to stay in their homes. It's kind of like Green right. New Deal vibes, you know, in terms of the interconnected problems and interconnected solutions on offer. Is it is that something um, that uh, um, people are aware of? I mean, at, at least you didn't say those words to the Republicans because that would scare them off, right? But uh, But secretly you knew that there were similarities, right? <laughs> there are definitely, it is definitely in that framework. I mean, there is, yeah, it's not, not, I mean, I, there are many people who, um, are, I would say hostile to the, the, those, those terms there. In fact, if you may, some people may know if you drive a, uh, along the turnpike, uh, in Pennsylvania, the, for a long time, there were signs that said gr- the green new deal is America's off switch. That was, you know, and, and, yeah. uh, they, and several, you'll just keep seeing those signs, but what this does, I mean, the program does you know, in the sense that it, it focuses on our existing infrastructure and it does, you know, and it, and it, you know, it does, it has a, a elements of justice to it. I mean, you know, in, in, in Philadelphia and Pittsburgh and many of our kind of cities across Pennsylvania, which are overwhelmed for the most part, majority minority cities, there, the, the, the issues of, uh, being able to stay in your home are, you know, are racial justice issues. So can we solve these issues of racial justice? while solving housing and affordability, while also solving the fact that, you know, reducing energy burdens and energy loss is a form of, of, of climate action. So we definitely thought about all these things at once, and we knew that we had to tackle all of them at once. So that was definitely how we approached the problem. Um, and, and we hope that it has that effect as we roll it out. Yeah, so let me, let me maybe uh, make this a little more concrete here. Uh, and you could tell me if this is sort of correct in your like thinking here. Uh, right now, I live in West Philadelphia um, in a almost 100 year old row house. Um, it's it's been renovated relatively recently, but it's it's it had a lot of you know legacy old stuff in it, like a single pane window from the 1970s. I replaced that. Um, you know, it like. 
it, it's 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 leaky. It's old. You know, it's a big pile of bricks. So you know, if if you're you know just sort of a working class person and you live in a and you live in this house or you're renting from renting from a you know landlord or some one of these houses from from a landlord, um, you know, and you're right now in Philadelphia, it is super hot. And, uh, you know, you have your like window units going or whatever, maybe the one that you have and all of that air conditioning is just getting sucked right out the walls, right out the terrible insulation and the terrible windows. Um, and you know, it's given you these massive heating bills and or cooling bills and, uh, that you can't afford, you know, the, the, the result is you're going to have to sell, move to somewhere else. Uh, and that's going to be bought by, uh, you know, a, a property flipper, they're going to renovate it and it's going to be made much more expensive. And, uh, you know, that this is like sort of part of the process of gentrification. And so is this sort of like the type of thing that you're, you're looking at trying to arrest that process of like people bake, uh, uh, as you know, the heat waves are literally right outside my window as we speak, stopping that from sort of booting people out through the, uh, skyrocketing cost of electricity and whatnot. Absolutely. That was a major impetus for this proposal, that it would arrest, at least in part, some of the drivers of or the, this kind of cycle that that leads to gentrification and displacement. We know there's a lot of there are a lot of people in in Philadelphia, of course, but it's 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 common in a number of areas in the state where they're just kind of he oh, literally, you know, heated hot housing markets, literally heated areas, but like overheating housing markets that where the pressure to kind of give up your home is is enormous and you know and a number of people will would get a number of my constituents a number of people across this the across cities get tons and tons of calls from people just offering money to buy their home and you know much less than their home is worth but it may be more money than you have available to replace your you know, the, to fix your roof or to, you know, you actually don't have, you know, adequate heating or cooling, you know, and so y- you may just feel that that, that money is too much to, to, to pass up. And so then you accept it, yeah. then you move and you're kind of, you can no longer buy or rent inside, Phil- you know, Philadelphia, let's say. And so you're pushed out of the city and then that home is demolished or, you know, renovated and sold for a much higher price and that kind of fuel, you know, that, that, House by house, block by block, we you know that leads to some of the gentrification that we that you know we we all have seen, and so I think that that was definitely an impetus behind this bill. So tell us about the Republicans, then. You know, if you if you got managed to get some uh, Republican votes, I mean, as Alexi was was saying, like you could sort of say this is a Green New Deal ish framework, a sort of like the the general area of policies, the goals that you're trying to achieve, but this is very much more modest, you know, than a sort of green. This is pretty small potatoes. Of course it is, you know, because like it's just one state, you know, and one senator, you can't like, uh, you know, completely rejigger the entire housing stock of even just Philadelphia by yourself. But uh, how, how um, like, how did this not get sucked into the polarization machine? You know, the, where it's like, this is, this is, uh, you know, we're helping like black people in, in Philadelphia, like fix their homes up and it's the hardworking taxpayer, blah, blah, blah. You know, like that sort of thing that I imagine would happen, you know, even though I would also assume that there are a lot of like broke white people in central uh, Pennsylvania who could also benefit from this type of thing. Um, like wh- how, what was your approach there and how did you go about selling this type of this thing? You started to allude to it that there are, in fact, uh, uh, issues of this kind everywhere in the state. And, you know, by starting with what exists, I think as a, you know, just actually developing the policy, we, we knew that the issue existed in Philadelphia. And we knew that, you know, versions of that intuitively, we knew that it existed in, in kind of cities like this. But, you know, we, we wanted to know what would make sense for the state. I represent Philadelphia, but I, I'm a legislator at a state. What do we, how can we pass legislation that makes sense for the whole state? I mean, it's not, not just a matter of winning bipartisan support, although that is actually essential to get this passed, but it also is, you know, it has to actually function in a, in a kind of statewide way. That is, that's the ambition. And by starting with like these programs that exist and don't function that well across the state, like weatherization or, you know, that have built in 
issues, you then find pro- these are programs that are not used exclusively in Philadelphia or in, you know, blue districts. They're used across the state. And it turns out a lot of people are familiar with the issue that you start to see because they, you work within a framework. I mean, it's not, it, you work within a policy framework. Republican and Democratic legislators use the state in some way or the other. They may have hostility towards it. They may have, you know, various feelings about it, but they work with it in some way because they have to deliver for their constituents. Secondarily, there was an existing kind of discourse or, you know, the, of, in the state legislature of many of these many areas across the Commonwealth being blighted. And that's like not a kind of terminology that you tend to use in cities that have suffered from urban renewal and the like. I think that it has a kind of connotation of, you know, and and sometimes a a racist connotation. Um, But in, you know, the the language of blight is basically used to describe areas that have where there's massive amounts of abandonment or there can be a house or two on a particular block that has been abandoned or left or, or in, or is in major disrepair. And this weighs down the neighborhood. It's associated with community violence. It's associated with lowering property values or what have you. And this is the, this discourse that, you know, this was in Pennsylvania. People are like, well, how do we combat blight? What do we do with blighted properties? How do we take, how does a land bank work to take blighted properties into, you know, it, it's just a very burdensome process. So everyone was of the feeling that the state actually deals with displacement and abandonment and, you know, these issues one way or the other. You actually have to take on that burden. And so a number of people became real champions of the legislation because they thought it could arrest the cycle of blight. And we, we have, we absolutely pitched it that way, but it was recognizable in that framework, you know, for a lot of people. And so, um, they saw it in their communities. They saw it in Schuylkill County. They saw it in Beaver County. They saw it in, in, you know, in Lehigh. And, and so I think it, it was, it was recognizable in that framework. And they knew, and, you know, there had been lots of way attempts to, to stop that. And, and this actually seemed to make the most sense. And in part, again, because we weren't totally reinventing the wheel. We weren't creating a, an entire, we are in creating a new program, but we're not creating an entirely new framework. We're actually in some ways filling in gaps that exist. We're filling in, um, by th- through, through funding. And so I think that that helped to, to win people over. Can, can I follow up on, on that, uh, Senator, just because it, it, that all made a lot of sense, but it also sounded like Republicans are rational actors for a moment. And so I want to, I want to like disentangle some of the motivations and, and try to understand because there could be a lot of bipartisanship if we simply like explained how it could help their constituents, right? And they just said, yeah, okay, great. Uh, but part of what you're saying there also seems to be, um, I don't know, maybe implied is that there are things that they're getting complaints about or what, well, what, what is kind of like the, 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 Realpolitik of it, do you think, or 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 what made it uh, amenable to Republicans in a way that that isn't as simple as like it would help their constituents? Because I think there's so much that doesn't get done that could get done if that was all that was needed, right? Yeah, I mean, it, no, no, it, I mean, you're, you're right, and I don't mean to kind of put it naively, like we just kind of, you know, we just sold it to them, right? You know, but but it, what it did take, I mean, probably the the more accurate or the more kind of uh, filled out picture is that we, you know, we, we, we organized at every sort of level. I mean, what the, on, on, on one basic level, you know, just, you know, getting out of outside the kind of legislative track, we, we organized with a statewide coalition, which had presences in red and blue districts. So, uh, there is an organization called Pennsylvania Stands Up. There's also a statewide organization, Make the Road, which has chapters in other states. Pennsylvania Stands Up is a kind of federation of local groups in Lancaster, Philadelphia, Reading, Allentown, um, you know, that where all some of those are obviously Democratic and some of those are not. I mean, the cities may be, but they're in Senate or, you know, or, or House districts that are not Democratic. And uh, they... You know, and a lot of those groups actually sprung up or kind of gained coherence in the post-Trump, post-kind of Bernie 2016 moment. And people, they rep, there's community organizing, community organizing people represented in those groups have these issues. They, they 
you know, we rallied across the state as the bill was introduced and gained media attention, frankly, for it. And that media attention in Lancaster spread across central Pennsylvania. That's like, so then you are watching on TV outside in your, in rural Lancaster or in, you know, the suburbs of Harrisburg or what have you, this issue, you're learning about this issue that basically your constituents face. So that's one aspect of it, which we thought was essential. I mean, and that comes from, you know, I come out of a community organizing tradition or labor organizing tradition. Of course, many of my staff do as well. So we knew that we needed that part and that helped a huge amount, I would say, so that people suddenly were aware of the issue in, in a matter of a week, uh, and, 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 you know, across the state. Um, the other thing is that we held, we, we encouraged, you know, we worked very hard to hold bipartisan hearings on the issue. And in, in, so this is the more kind of traditional legislative track, but, you know, it worked in the sense that we would go to, we held a hearing in Armstrong County in Catanning, uh, where people testified, you know, people who'd work in redevelopment authorities in Westmoreland, in, uh, in, you know, in Armstrong, in Indiana County. And they all said, well, actually, we do home repair programs. We do them. Here's how they work. And they have a major lack of funding. But if we were given the amount of money that we had, we would be able to keep people in their homes and event and, you know, especially elderly people. I mean, these are, you know, these are counties where they, they're, the, the population has declined to some degree. There, there is a huge elderly population on a fixed income who want to be able to age in place. This would help them do that. And it already exists. Like they already sort of see. It. And so people, you know, the senators and, and state representatives are helping this population day to day. Their offices are, are helping secure funding for them. They want to do it. Right. It's like. And so suddenly the notion that this could get these agencies to work at a much higher level, uh, these nonprofits, these, you know, these faith based groups, what have you, they're like that do the work. It doesn't, it, you know, or they're or faith inflected, let's say, not, you know, nonprofits, they, um, this is the, this is the, just the, 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 the kind of civil society that, um, is present, you know, even in areas outside, outside the ones that we are familiar with. So I think those two things were, were hugely important that we would, we had the grassroots work, the kind of statewide coalition that worked with us and with other legislators to make this a, a reality. And then, um, and then we had, we had the kind of tradition, the, the real legislative work. And then the kind of the, a, a kind of critical piece is, I, I think that we did introduce this legislation potentially with the idea that this would take time. It would take, we introduced it in March, right? We were working on it before then, but it came out in March. It was passed in June or late, early July. That's a much quicker timeline than any legislation usually takes to the extent that it ever succeeds. And in part, that was because we had a reserve of American Rescue Plan dollars, $2 billion, over $2 billion, and a, a surplus, a state surplus, uh, with revenues coming in over estimate every month. The, you know, the stimulus and the kind of counter cyclical spending of the last couple of years worked, right? In that regard, it worked. It like, it delivered a, a state surplus and the appetite to spend was higher. Like no one could claim, well, we have, we you know, I don't know. We have to like, do we do this or do we do that? It's like, no, we can kind of do everything. And so we, we saw that opportunity and we really pushed for it. This would be a good use of this money. And so it was funded, I will say in this, you know, this, with $125 million in American rescue plan dollars, which is one time money. So we will need to fight for this money again next year. We should fight for more. Um, you know, and, but I think that that's, that was also a, a kind of condition of, of being able to do this. Whether we could have done it, you know, in another year is an open question. I think it was certainly okay. much easier, you know, in, in this year. Right. So, so some of this is quite contingent and circumstantial. Uh, but to the extent, if I may, that there are lessons to be learned, uh, how much of the success do you think is something that is particular to state and local politics that is harder to replicate at the federal level, uh, maybe in part because – Things don't get attached to national national figures who are so divisive and, and polarizing and, and you know Fox Newsified and so forth, um, and, and that could be a good thing in the sense that like if if it is a state and local advantage, then you can do other things like that uh, that can't be done at the federal level, and that's good. 
Um, but, but what things could maybe be tactically or strategically deployed at the federal level as well, do you think, from your experience? Um, so yeah, how, how much, what lessons do you think there are at the federal and, and state level um, that, that aren't contingent and, and simply because of the rescue uh, money? It's a good question. I, you know, we definitely thought that this was an issue that was less, where in which kind of opinions were less entrenched, that, you know, housing in this particular vein was, and, and maybe just more generally, there actually was, was quite a lot of spending in the Pennsylvania budget on housing, on kind of more traditional LIHTC related, or excuse me, low income housing tax credit related, um, projects and the like. So it, it, again, actually supported fairly widely by, by, by Republicans in this instance. So housing may, may, may be one of those issues we sort of thought that it might be. Um, and we thought that, it, yeah, we thought that the, the context of there being state money that was, you know, received by the federal government and, you know, that we wanted to be able to spend and without the kind of national spotlight, I think that that's, I think that, de- that is definitely possible that that made this, you know, that made this kind of a, a uniquely state program. But I mean, I, I don't know. I think the, if you focus on, I mean, I think that we're still kind of reckoning with, you know, how we did it, but I think the focusing on filling in existing infrastructure was, I think, a big part of it, that we didn't, that you, you, we wanted to work with things that were a landscape that was relatively familiar that would still have a transformative transformative effect. Um, and then lay the groundwork for, you know, future things. Like what, it's not, it, 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 it may not seem like much, but if you are able to replace, you know, in, for some of the bigger projects, let's say that the left has in mind around, um, around, let's say, building electrification or, you know, so, or like getting solar on roofs or what have you, uh, in a more widespread fashion and passive house can work, you know, things like that. There's a lot of work that needs to be done first. You actually, there's a kind of pre, there, just as there's pre-weatherization work, there's pre-electrification. People have outdated electrical systems. They have so many different ways that a, that a house is actually unsuited to the things that we want to do. And you need to do that first. This is agnostic on that question, this legislation. It's agnostic on whether, whether you must or must not do that, but it certainly does not prevent it. And on the other, in many ways, it kind of enables it. And so depending on, you know, where it's used and how it's used. So, um, so on a federal level, I think similarly, just like thinking about we, we have a federal weatherization program. They're actually, it's somewhat well recognized that the federal weatherization program. It's, it's widely used. We just put a bunch more money into it through the Infrastructure and Jobs Act. There's a cap on how much you can spend through it. Let's, you know, maybe you raise the cap. Maybe you like start to make it easier for people to access it. But the effect and that, that sounds like, oh, we're just kind of fix, we're filling this in. We're like changing, you know, but it's like, it's just much more recognizable to many more people. And, uh, and, and then it becomes like we've, we've, tr- we've transformed this program. And like, and, and in order, and, and then preserve thousands, millions, who knows, more homes in the process, or at least certainly made when, it possible. When you say men, recognizable to many more people, are you talking about the politicians you need to convince? Or are you talking about the people, the constituents, or, or both? Because it sounds like you're saying the political imagination doesn't have to be so amazing to see, you know, how this will, will help people and how it will get done administratively or something, right? Well, the, so the, the, I, I am, I guess I would say, speaking on a kind of politician level or legislative, but also a kind of advocate, like a practitioner level. So there will be, so we, you know, there would, there would be people who are administrators of the program and they could be national alliances. We had, there was a kind of state alliance of energy efficiency folks who were, had a great input in this bill and then were major like lob, you know, kind of lobbied very hard for the bill because they understood the problem very well. And then for the, from their perspective, it's like a kind of technical fix or something, or, you know, that would have a major effect, you know, that they would see, they would see it immediately. And then that appeals to people in a, in one way from a constituent perspective, it's more like someone will, there are just so many people who have the experience of just trying to go through and stay in their homes. And so they'll say that they had, um, you know, they had, they, they suddenly had a disability and they had, you know, they wanted to be able to stay in their home, but actually to access the disability resources was, it was extremely onerous. At the same time, their heater went out, their roof sprung a leak. And then what, you know, they, and actually how to deal with all these different problems in a different way. Maybe they then 
temporarily had a decrease in their income because they lost their job. Who knows what happens? That's just like a perfect storm. That actually is like a hugely common story. And that's a hugely common story across the state. And like those two things are connected. You actually, you can't, you have no, you can't access money easily. You can't navigate the existing programs. Then it turns out there's not enough people to do the work. You know, like that's actually, so both those two things work out and people are moved by different versions of that story. We, you know, and I think, I mean, I hope that everyone is moved by the constituent who tells them that, that like, I'm about to lose my home and I have a disability. And, you know, that means I'll be out on the street fundamentally. Like that should be enough. But I think that also people are moved by this is, we do this work in your district all the time. We help hundreds of people. We could help hundreds more if we made this, if we made this change. I mean, there are ways that like policymakers or legislative staff and things like that who actually take these meetings in, in federal offices and stuff are going to be moved by that as well. And so, um, all those things matter, I would say. And I, you know, what can it be done at a federal level? I, you know, I don't, I, I think so. I don't, I just don't have that experience. I don't know what that feels like to work in Congress. I, I don't know that I want to know right now, but <laughs> it has been done in the past. <clears throat> you look at the history of the new deal. There was a lot of stuff that was like, well, just uh, let's just go ahead and do it. Just just build all the four biggest uh, structures in the history of uh, human civilization all at the same time, uh, and they they did it on time and under budget. Um, talking about the the big dams and the the uh, Grand Coulee and uh, Hoover Dam and Shasta, I forget the last one, oh. but um, I wanted to ask you before before you move on to a. Uh, uh, other questions just like if if you've had any sort of um, moments of realization or 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 lessons um, nuggets of wisdom you've discovered on your travels uh, in terms of moving from sort of the outside to somewhat of an insider i mean you're not in congress probably thank goodness i it doesn't seem to be a great time in there um but just like going from, you know, writer, sort of organizer, theoretician to some degree to like actual practicing legislator, moving stuff through the, you know, democratically uh, elected institution with some support from Republicans. And like if there's any, you know, if if you have if you were to sort of go back to your prior self perhaps and, and, and give, give him some advice, like uh, what would it be if anything? So I would say that, and it's unclear. I don't, I, I couldn't tell you right now what ways the kind of journalist version of myself prepared me for this. I, I know that the one thing that it did was just, foster because it was just like a professional requirement curiosity and a just a, and a and essentially a willingness to let people just talk at you you know like especially insofar as you need to uh you need to do that i mean you know actually politics weirdly starts to engender the the, the opposite impulse which is just that yes i'm doing right now it's just, just talking and you find yourself talking all the time <laughs> but it is it you know i find that you, you you, it just requires you to, if, insofar as you, you, if you're a reporter of any kind, and I was only, you know, sort of one, you have to just get thrown into situations with people you don't really know and basically establish a rapport with them and find out what is of interest to them. And, you know, and, and, you know, move them on something, move them to tell you something, move them to basically divulge something, you know, whatever. It's not like, in the, not just in an investigative sense, but just in, in any sense, you just have to get something interesting out of them. And so, and you have to, and the only way to do that is just to be, is to, is to be interested. And so I think that that was, that's been important in, in this process is to kind of, you know, suspend judgment in, in various moments, because of course, at any given moment, you are in, in a, in, especially in contemporary politics, you are working with people, not just, you know, and not just in, in, you know, not just Republicans, you know, of course, people in your own party for, with whom you've just had some incredibly fierce disagreement and you just, 
think the worst of them at, at that point. And, you know, and, and, and maybe justifiably, I don't know, but you're just, you're, you're, you're like, Oh my God, I just, you just tried to ban. There was, you know, actually just in the days before this bill passed, that there was an attempt to essentially introduce a book ban of sorts that would ban, you know, mentions of sexual conduct or basically make it harder for students and to access and for teachers to teach any book that had any mention of explicit sexual conduct and uh, had any visual depictions of nudity. I, this was the, you know, which is actually, you know, at first this, this bill seemed to have a, a directly kind of home of anti, anti queer, anti trans kind of, uh, you know, bent, but it also then had, you know, but it, it, it was so widely written that it would ban, you know, the dialogues of Plato. It would ban, you know, the uh, virtually any book with Renaissance painting in it. It was just, you know, it had, and it was just like a extremely strange bill. And so you fight about this thing and you're t- and you're like, how could, how can I talk to this person who just has actually produced this thing? And you switch, you suddenly have to switch gears and be like, okay, I need to talk to this person about affordable housing and get them to sign on to this. And Cognitive it turns out, dissonance. yeah, and it turns out they're like, oh yeah, they're very, and they're actually very art- interesting, articulate. They give you thoughts on it and you're like, God, like it's just that, that, that experience. But some of that is like, you is just being willing to, to do that. You know, it's like, uh, and, and, you know, people, and they, you know, of course I, I, it's not that it's like, of course I think I'm right about everything, but they certainly think that they're, they, that you are, equally just abhorrent on so many different issues like you that your vote you know you're just i'm me democratic socialist from philadelphia like vote you know voting to let everyone out of prison all the time you know they or whatever they think i don't actually know but like they it's it's i think um so i think that that's that's been kind of critical the other thing about the organizing part is like that's been you know it's just true. It's like, it's like, it turns out organizing works. It's confirmed. I love it. It's confirmed all your theoretical assumptions going into politics. This is good. So you're still a materialist. You still believe in uh, theory and praxis and how they work together. Right. It's, it's, it's materialism is, yeah, it's just, but it's also like (laughs) you, you can find, like, I guess the thing that's true is like you, you know, you're trying to break down as a, as a socialist or what have you, you like, you're, you, you are trying to, find political units that are larger than, you know, the district or the city or whatever. Like it just has to be true, right? All of these things implicate are implicated in each other. City and country, like those distinctions are, 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 are real and artificial or they like depend on each other. They're di- The relationship is dialectical, what have you. Like all those insights are true. <laughs> it turns out like you have to like you, but you have to <laughs> use them in, in, in political terms and like how to figure out how to do that is like, is like seems like a, a a major task to break down those 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 boundaries for to make to create uh, statewide policy and you know buy in and and I think that and that's you know I think that certainly was a is a an impulse behind the um, behind a lot of the, the thinking behind the green green new deal framework and um, it was informative for me coming in and and you know I I think that we've we've we have been able to f- to follow that through in this in this instance and now it. Now it, let's see what else we can do, and not just we, not right. just me. Uh, so, uh, do you have hope, or what? What what lessons have you learned in terms of both the obstacles? Because as you mentioned, this is one time funding for this program, and you have to fight for it. And 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 so, what are some of the obstacles that uh, can be overcome, but have to be fought for that that um, that you foresee? But also maybe some opportunities. Uh, and and is the Green New Deal for PA one of them? Uh, what, what, where are you at now in terms of your kind of? Uh, epistemology of possibility and political imagination for, for, um, you know, what, what fights are, are worth diving into. I had thought coming in that we would be working on housing retrofits and, and which we did, we did. And then, and, and educate and the kind of something similar for schools and school facilities. And, uh, you know, I, I ran on that and then, and there was actually, there was a, uh, the kind of folks that wrote our kind of Green New Deal for Schools platform um, took that to uh, to to Congressman Bowman, and then the, and he ran he ran on it. He kind of did that at a national level or proposed it at a national level. We so there's you know there's that still isn't there's the kind of facility school facilities thing. I think is another thing that 
is is held in common across districts in Pennsylvania. And I think would be, you know, I don't, I don't know that that's something that we can, that we, we again would have to kind of investigate and start with from the same place. Like where is, but you know, we, we, insofar as just education and fixations on education, I mean, I think that, you know, even some of the, the right wing emphasis on this about, about, uh, you know, the, the kind of exploitation about fears about race and public and what can parental control over public education all of that, you know, taps the same kind of psychological root. It's like parents, children, control, power, you know, all of it, like what, you know, what, that's all, it's all, that's similarly held in common. What you so can, scare them about climate change in the classroom. Climate change will kill your kids in the classroom if you don't fight the climate change. Also, the climate change is black. Sorry, I don't know. I just thought that would help. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can, we can, but I think the, but that was another, you know, I think those are all kinds of ways that we, we like, we, we get it. We get it. See white issues. I don't know. Like there's also, we, we want, but, but I think, I think right now, I think our main task is like to kind of implement this successfully, you know, in a way we have to make sure that it rolls out correctly. We've already heard we prior to introducing this or prior to kind of to securing it, we got a ton of interest from people asking to apply as well as people like we would hear in passing, like people's frustrations with existing programs. I applied for our local Philadelphia, you know, program and got, you know, it, I applied in when I, at, at one point and like got, got it four years later when it was already kind of a moot point. I had to get rid of, you know, like there's that kind of frustration yeah. with government uh, or with, with particular programs. We, that would be, that's a problem, right? It's like, we actually needed to, to function at a fairly high level, not just, so, and, right. you know, and then also what does it pave the, the way for? What do we then, what are we, what are we doing after this to a home once it's been repaired? What does it make possible? I think these are the questions that we really need to, to wrestle with. Um, rather than just kind of, I mean, we, we do want to do more stuff, of course, but we need to kind of regroup ourselves. This is important too. Yeah. Don't bring in McKenzie and get Pete Buttigieg and the, and the private firms to outsource everything. No, but seriously, like in the administration, uh, is there, are there sites of struggle or questions about, um, in what sense this is going to be administered from the, you know, the state itself or, or what partnerships there might be with private firms? Uh, is there any of that a concern or, or is it, nope, we, we've got this. We're just going to make sure the state does it well. It is a voluntary program. So the, the states, so that it, it's administered through counties. So like a county, a single entity in a county would be designated and, you know, and apply to the state essentially for funding. And what the, each, each entity in the county has to do all three things in the program. They have to do the, the funding for repairs, the coordination and the workforce development. They can subgrant and coordinate with the, with, so like it's not just, it's not just, incumbent on one entity but so you know our office is not we're not in we're not out there to like kind of control how this works in every county we can we want to work with the state agency the to to make sure the implementation is as smooth as possible and not as you know and for them as well right there we want the bureaucracy to function um at every possible level but we don't we it's going to be different every place that adopts it and some places won't adopt it we also know that i think from various programs like rental assistance, for example, which I think was, you know, somewhat underrated and it's put in its implications and effects, but that some counties just didn't want to do it or they didn't, you know, or people don't want to like, you can't force administrators to do something that they don't want to do sometimes, you know, it depends on what the, you know, and so, cause then they won't do it. Right. And then it won't function. And then money is lost or has to be clawed back or, uh, or there's some, you know, there's certain like lessons to be learned from that. So in this case, we wanted to function well. And then maybe other a county will be like, oh, I see that in this neighboring county, they did this thing successfully. We should do that. Um, so we don't, so there aren't, there will be some, you know, determinations at a county level on who does it, on what kind of contractors are hired, what kind of work is done. And, and that's going to be, there's going to be a little bit of We'll find out how that's gone actually after a year. I mean, there is meant to be program evaluation. We're meant to be able to change things after a year in. And, um, we'll see. I mean, we know that we know that it won't function totally smoothly. That would be, uh, but I think we'll, we, we have 
written the program broadly enough so that there is a lot of leeway and there's a lot of leeway to kind of revise things as necessary. So let me switch gears a little bit and talk about elections. Um, 20, 2022 coming up, we here in Pennsylvania, we have a governor's race. Uh, we have the, uh, well, let's call him a Democrat, Josh Shapiro, uh, the former attorney general. He's, he's running against Doug Mastriano, a much more interesting person who was at the January 6th uh, putsch, and he bust a bunch of people there using the money of a right-wing billionaire and maybe even um, was part of... He might have entered the Capitol itself. He denies it. We don't really know for sure what happened, but he is uh, as Trumpy as they get. Uh, for I think, is he a former or current state senator? Current, um, yes. He's a current. He's a yeah. yeah. And and so this guy is is going to have like significant powers over the electoral machinery of Pennsylvania if he wins. And from what you've been talking about, it sounds as if like there's basically some shreds of like basic democratic sort of functioning going on between, you know, in Pennsylvania where like the people take their complaints to the representatives and like the representatives are like, oh, shoot, we better do something about these. And then you come in with your N plus one socialism and you're like, how about we, f- we fix these big holes in the roofs of the people in Berks County and in, you know, uh, Schuylkill County and, and, and all over and, and in every County as Fetterman would say, and they're like, well, so that guess that sounds pretty good. If you have a guy like Mastriano, it seems like that would sort of screw up not only the presidential election system, but like that whole, you know, to to sort of have a complete lunatic as the governor, that it would kind of put that sort of uh, bargaining, negotiation, talking to people, even if you don't like them very much, you know, which like can be overstated. But I mean, as you've been describing to us, can actually produce worthwhile, you know, policies like the Civil Rights Act was passed on a bipartisan basis. You know, they like these broad upsurges of need can be addressed if the representatives can listen. And if you have a guy like that who is just basically dedicated to removing those those sort of transmission belts of communication between the the voters and the representatives at a national level and a state level through gerrymandering the piss out of the state, which I I assume he would do like in Wisconsin, where it's literally impossible for Democrats to win the majority in the state assembly. Do you have, I don't know, a sort of perspective on this? Like, like what, what do you think will happen if Shapiro can't pull it out? It's a tremendously frightening prospect i you know i would say i mean there there is it it, it it it's difficult to exaggerate you know the 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 kind of consequences that would result i mean it's there have been of course republican governors in recent memory and kind of in in pennsylvania they've, they've held all three brand you know the, the both chambers and uh the um and the governor's mansion and you know i think a lot of the kind of the wave of essentially unregulated fracking that took place across the, you know, across the Marcellus shale. And it was took place in that, in the early part of the last decade and under Republican leadership, for example. Um, although there was, you know, there, there was a lot of democratic support for that as well. They, they yeah, I mean, it's, you know, Senator Mastriano, my, I is, has it an immense, uh, passionate base of support his supporters he has you know one of the largest bases of small dollar donations from the state of pennsylvania it is it is you know it is 50 dollars here and there from people who are extremely passionate he himself is also extremely passionate it, it like and and is a you know i think accurately described as a christian nationalist i think the new yorker used this term and i think that's that's right it's um it is, he's done work in, you know, he, he worked in the kind of system of American, of imperialism. He worked as an intelligence, you know, in, in the military, as an intelligence, in, in military intelligence. Uh, I think there's, so I think there's a lot of kind of xenophobia and, you know, and to put it mildly built into the kind of worldview. All of that would be in power. 
right? In the, in the governor's mansion, it would make, he has, he's definitely dedicated to all the, the undermining of the electoral machinery of making it possible for states to annul election results, you know, it's all, all of that, but, you know, has a, a overwhelming commitment to fossil fuels as, as a result, not just, not just a kind of, I'm in cool with the gas industry, but this is a kind of, this is a kind of God. Yeah. It's a theological. These are our God given resources that are underneath our feet. Why can we not tap them? Um, those things are, you know, are, so it's ecocidal. There's a kind of, you know, there's a huge worldview that is like extremely alarming. And, you know, I think he's like the death drive personified, basically. There is, there is, yeah, there is a huge, there is a, a, there is a really scary, there would be really scary consequences to, to this. I mean, and I will say that the, you know, that we should, the, the, um, it is not like not, you know, we would, like we would, the, there is a move on the democratic side to, you know, Shapiro, for example, one of the things that he has been tremendously good on, I would say is actually is, is holding frackers accountable. He held, he kind of led a grand jury effort to, uh, you know, to expose, and it's a very damning report that was produced by the grand jury of what fracking has done in Pennsylvania. There's probably beyond, besides Amity and Prosperity, the, the great book by, um, by Eliza Griswold. There's like probably no other document that just exposes what it has done to ordinary people in Pennsylvania. And, you know, has had some, you know, I think the, so I think the climate implications in addition of what someone would be doing in the, you know, one of the largest energy producing states in, uh, in the country are, are kind of being undersold. And Let's then, hope. yeah. And so I think that, yeah, it's, it's no, it's a serious well, matter. It helps that fracking sounds bad. Those frackers are out to get you. Uh, I, I, th- I have one last question for you, Senator, and I, I think it's important. And it's a question that's been on the left, I think, uh, debated because a lot of well, the democratic response to all these calamities, whether it's the overturning of Roe or, or you can just go on and on with the list of calamities, is just vote harder. Uh, just get out there in the midterms and vote for us. Uh, we don't need to promise you anything. We don't need to show you that we can do anything for you, but just keep voting for us. Uh, and so I wonder what your perspective is for the left in terms of people want to do something, but they're just being told go vote. What alternatives to voting harder do you think are out there to help uh, give people the agency and, and uh, allow people that are motivated to go do something to, to change and fight these reactionary forces and neoliberal forces, frankly. It's absolutely very frustrating to be confronted with a political class that seems to lack any sense of urgency or at least be, and certainly be unable to express that urgency. And, 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 and yes, I think on, you know, seem, has, so far has not acted with any visible sense of urgency overall, you know, yeah, calamities, catastrophes that are facing us again, overwhelmingly the, the climate crisis. I think that we, you know, we, 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 there, it is, it is just a, it's, it's, and it leads to the, in fact, what it leads to is, you know, the more they're like, well, we need to vote and like voting, like voting matters. And we're like, we know, or sort of, I don't know. It's like, we did actually, we voted, you know, actually they're also they're like, taking away the voting abilities too. And they're also restricting the vote. But yeah. I think, you know, I think in 2016, at, at least, you know, and I think it predates that, but in the kind of awake of the, you know, of, of an extremely like surprising, you know, kind of outcome to, to the, to the Sanders Clinton contest where just, you know, I think for ev- many people, we were, we were impressed by the level of dissent from the democratic establishment that was expressed in that election. And then fine, you know, that, that, the fact that that existed as the, you know, in the, in the wake of the Trump election, you know, I think those two forces, those kinds that, that kind of experience combined with the, the, like, you know, the, the catastrophe of that election, led to a, a, a fairly, you know, like we need a different kind of political response, not simply like we need to, well, we need to get into a position where we, we need to vote, uh, we need to vote or whatever. It's like, no, we need a, an entirely different kind of political organization at, at the, at every level of the country. And so things, people formed them, right? I think we, I, I certainly was part of forming one in, in, um, in Philadelphia and, and, you know, to the extent that we actually were able to pass, say, this legislation, 
it depends entirely on the fact that we were part of a network of groups that formed largely in the wake of that that election. And then we kind of governed with and, you know, a, a lot of the policy that we were working on was, in, in, you know, every time we had to make a change to it, it was accountable to that group and they were bought in in a way that they could then pass it. That's just the legislative side. But that same group of people is determined, you know, to kind of is, exist to, you know, one, elect different kinds of people. So like change who is actually on the ballot and people who are committed to maybe a different vision of how politics can be done and accomplished and who, who is, you know, who it includes. Um, we, you know, we need a radical change in like what is considered common sense and what is, you know, how, you know, how is that, to the extent to which civil society, how it functions, um, how civil society functions. I think that that was the, that was the, the conclusion from 2016. It was also the conclusion, uh, in, you know, in the wake of in May and June, 2020. I mean, like that, I mean, that, that we needed, we, where, where we had the largest mass uprising in, in American history, you know, that it's, again, the response is not, oh, we need to, you know, the right has been working for decades to, to use minoritarian institutions like the Supreme Court and, um, and the, and the Senate to some degree to accomplish their aims. And they succeeded. You know, they succeed with, it is a, an overwhelming, it is a loss, right? Then we knew, you know, at, at a certain point, we sort of, they put themselves in position to succeed. And, and they, they did, right? And they did. And it kind of, you know, in the, in the last like series of like kind of shock and awe court cases. And there are more coming. Um, and so on the one I think hand, people forget about all the organizing that went into that. I think they just think about like Gorsuch or, or Alito or whatever and forget about the decades of organizing that helped accomplish that. Yeah. Exactly. And so, you know, but at the same time, and I think, it, you know, we don't want to be demor like we can you can do all of those things at once. We can we can kind of claim territory and, you know, we can we can win. We, can, we should win elections. Right. We should win them. And we should also. But I think there are also we have to you know, we do so on the terms of this this kind of you know, deeply, you know, minoritarian kind of Madisonian system, which we have to kind of come to grips with where, you know, that it exists. We, so like in every kind of short-term way, we kind of live with it, but in every, in a long-term way, it has to be, you know, it has to be transformed to actually be less resistant as it actually, you know, as obviously is to popular pressure and was designed to do that. And so I think that, you know, the, the court is of course an example. And I think it's great, you know, that we're actually, Finally speaking about, you know, about its legitimacy as a, as, as an institution. Um, but the Senate is, of course, another such institution, you know, the way that proportional representation, et cetera. I mean, like, but these are things that we have to work on. They will take a long time, you know, and it like, and it's, yeah. but I think. And that's okay. Yeah, it's okay. I mean, it's, well, it's kind of okay. It's, I mean, it's, it's, it's an emergency. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's not, not great. It's not great. But what alternative do we have? Yeah. And I, you know, I, I think that, you know, I, I, I'm excited. I guess I'm hopeful because, um, you know, I'm hopeful because we are in a, I, I still think the, as it, as you know, we're in a, not, not, you know, in, in various ways, obviously they're, they're very rapidly worsening conditions, but in terms of, people willing to express that political urgency and be, if not ready to assume kind of higher positions of power today or tomorrow, certainly there are many more such people in positions of power than I would have thought possible in the kind of depressing months of 2016, you know, and I think that that yeah. is, and they take this, they, they speak with, with particular urgency. They recognize, you know, people's frustrations. Um, they speak to them they come up with plans and sometimes they win them, you know? And so, and so I think that that's, um, that's, you know, I think that, and the, the infrastructure is much stronger than it was. It's still not, we, we started with not very much, you know, we started with not very much, but, um, I don't know, tomorrow morning, you know, I, I, I just, tomorrow I may be, you know, joining like, Starbucks workers, like in their drive to unionize again, I didn't really think that that was going to happen. Um, you know, a, uh, you know, even a few months ago, I guess, like a, let, let alone, um, a few years ago. And so, yeah, it's, uh, it's, 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 uh, yeah. it, it, it is there, right. It is there. The, the drive is there. Yeah. It is, it is. And we're, you know, we're confronting lots of different forms of opposition, but you know, we, we got to take it seriously. We got to take it seriously for, for, for years. 
Thank you, Senator. You know, Camus says we have to imagine Sisyphus happy. Can we imagine Senator Saval happy in the fight? I love my job. I think it's great. I love this work. It's tremendous. I think more people should do it. Well, leadership Absolutely. is very important, as you were saying, and this is why we need to run Hillary Clinton for president again. <laughs> No, no, I'm one. only joking. We need to run Nikhil Saval for president in 2024. Oh no! Uh. So get your get get your checkbooks out, folks. Uh, the will the campaign website will be coming out. No, I'm well. Maybe I'm not joking. We'll have to see. I, you know, I actually am not joking that people should go to the website of Senator Saval and yeah, we'll we'll link to your work. campaign yeah, uh, items and so on. But uh, yeah. we thank you for coming on the program and giving us an update. And uh, we expect you're obliged to demand. come every victory, every victory you have, you're obliged to come back on the podcast. So. <laughs> well, hopefully, hopefully there will be reasons to come back. Then. It's the yeah. beginning of a beautiful friendship. <laughs> So thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you in the next episode. Great. Thank you. Thanks. Take care.